0: Hey everybody, it's Phil Magic Christian, touring keyboard player and backup singer for Cheap Trick. And you're listening to Cheap Talk with Ken and Brian.
1: You just did the opening. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah. It's
2: time for some Cheap Talk.
1: All right, now we are back on, we are recording. Here we go. All right. Sounds good. Welcome back to cheap talk your show all about cheap trick your your unofficial official or your official unofficial that's it right bj we are the unofficial we're the officially unofficial cheap trick podcast and i am joined as ever by the ever effervescent brian crample welcome back sir
3: hello there ladies and gentlemen
1: hello there ladies and gents And of course, any samples of music that we play here today will remain property of their owners and Cheap Trick. And these are only for educational and discussion purposes. So if you want the real thing, we ask that you support the artist. Right, BJ? And we are so blessed today to have somebody who's shared the stage with Cheap Trick and so much more. Sir, please introduce yourself. My name is Phil Magic Christian. Ooh. There you go. Welcome to Cheap Talk, <laughs> sir. We are so glad to have you here. We've we've all benefited from your work with the band Cheap Trick. You have an amazing career. Well, I, I appreciate you having me. You're definitely someone that we had on our list, and you've been what we're going to call backup keyboardist. What would you call yourself? What 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 is your role with Cheap Trick? Well, that's basically it. I
0: was the backup keyboard player and backup singer with Robin and Rick. And that's what I did for about
1: 10 of their 40 years. Wow. That's amazing. You were active from 82 to 2012, right? Yeah, I was, it was a split off and on. With them,
0: yeah. 82 to 85 was the first one. And then, you know, every so often they, I think the next time I ever did anything with them was 2002. They were in town and I just showed up with a keyboard and played with them in a small club here in Fort Lauderdale and then I didn't really hear from them again until I went to go see them in 2008 when they were in West Palm Beach with Heart. And I believe it was Journey, Heart and Journey. Oh,
2: wow. And
0: then after I after I saw them there, I got a call from, uh, um, well, first of all, it was Bunny. And then I got a call from Dave Fry. And uh, they wanted me to do the Sgt. Pepper show in Clearwater, which was going to be a one-off. So... We did that, and then surprisingly, um, the beginning of next year, I got a call, and they wanted me to go on tour with them. Uh So I went, that was 2009 to 2012, and then I did some on and offs, one-offs with them up until probably uh, last year or the year before last.
1: Fantastic. Now, is it okay to call you Phil, or do you prefer your proper stage name magic Uh,
0: magic is fine everybody you know that associated with cheap trick pretty much knows who magic is so
1: i'd go with that name probably that's okay all right magic thanks man there you go (laughs) (laughs) so let's go back way back clean off the cobwebs tell us your origin story right we i want to hear like the kind of music that first got your attention and Your level of uh, love of music, you know, where you come into things, what do you really love? And talk about your musical training, if any, and and what you, you know, your origin story. Sure. Well,
0: um, born in Fresno, California, uh, moved to L.A. in 73 and started playing from there. But when I was going back to when I was a kid, I was probably about six years old and my brother had um, a Beach Boys record. And he put on the Beach Boys. And apparently, from what everybody in the family tells me, I went and got some Quaker Oats cans and some pencils. And I sat down with the music and started beating on the Quaker Oats cans to to the Beach Boys. So that's basically how that started. And then, uh, you know, they all knew they were doomed. I was going to be a musician. So that's how that started. And I just um, I wanted to be a drummer and when my uh, I told my my mom was a piano player she played in um, USO shows in the World War 2 for she was in England and she played for the American soldiers that were there because they had no entertainment so she would get up and play the piano and they would all sing songs and do stuff like that so there was music in my family and my dad just loved music so he wasn't a musician but he just loved music all kinds of stuff So, you know, it was in the family, but I don't think they really thought I was going to be a musician, but they stood by me. So that was cool. But anyway, so when I told my mom I wanted to get a set of drums, I saw these Sears drums. Remember the old Sears catalog?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And they had those drums in there. There were toy drums like ninety nine bucks or something like that. And I begged my mom and dad. Oh, come on, man. Oh, please. Let me me. please. Let me get that. So my mom said, well, listen, if you want to be a drummer and you want a set of drums, you have to take piano lessons first. So long story short, my grandmother lived in a boarding house, and her um, landlord was a piano teacher, so they took me there, and I took piano lessons, and all the time I was learning to play drums, I was also taking piano lessons at the same time, so that's how that started. And then, of course, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, that pretty much did me in, so I knew what I wanted to be after that, so that's how that started. And then um, I got classical piano training while I was uh, being a drummer, but... You know, I didn't want anything to do with any of the keyboards. I wanted to be Ringo, Mm -hmm. and uh, I wanted to be in And the funny thing, I mean, it wasn't because girls were screaming and everybody was going crazy. I mean, for me, I was pissed off I couldn't hear him play. When I went to go see Hard Day's Night, like everybody else says, I went to go see Hard Day's Night when I was a little kid. I had my beetle wig and my beetle boots, and I went in there, and I couldn't hear a a thing, you know, because everybody was, all the girls were screaming and stuff. Slow as I am, I guess I didn't get it. I just wanted to be a musician I thought I was watching Ringo and his technique and stuff like that and then uh, you know the Rolling Stones and all the other bands that came out I would I would learn from that that was going on and that was that and I was a drummer up until probably 1970 and now this is boring let me know
1: no no think? it's fun okay mm-hmm. okay
0: so I, I in 70 probably around 70 somebody played me yes close to the edge mm. And, you know, you got to know I'm going from the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and stuff like that to to uh, yes. And I was I went, holy crap, man. What is this? And I was just loving it. And then I started picking out these things on the piano. And then somebody, a friend of mine, gave me um, Emerson, and Palmer. And when I heard Emerson, I said, I, I, you know, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing, obviously. I mean, if you're a keyboard player. That's like, to me, that's my idol. That's the cream of the crop. So I started trying to pick out stuff that Emerson was doing the piano. I'm like, oh, crap. How does he do this? I mean, you know, stuff like that. So I went, my first thing is I went and got the Santana album. And Greg Raleigh was the keyboard player. And my mom loved Santana. My dad loved Santana. So we would play the records and I would go to the piano and I would hear what he was doing. And I'd pick out these really, I mean, they're, you know, not really fancy solos or anything. He, you know, he was just a simple player. But a great player. He had a great organ sound. And, and I would learn my licks starting off from him. And that's how I progressed into being the keyboard player. And then I just gave up the drums altogether and just started on keyboards. And that's how I took that. But when I was a drummer, you know, I did some bands. I had some bands and I played the drums. And, uh, you know, it was you know, I, I just I just for some reason, I just knew that I'm going to have to I'm going to have to switch over to keyboards because, you know, keyboards were never that that in the forefront then.
2: Right.
0: So, so when they, when the keyboards were actually, um, man, that's, you know, there's a, there's Jimi Hendrix and there's Keith Emerson, you know, standing on his keyboard and stabbing it. I'm going, holy crap. And then all the intricate way that he played and everything. And I just wanted to, that's how, that's how I became the keyboard player. So that's that.
1: Well, it's weird. Cause you mentioned Ringo and yeah. Raleigh, not only do their names start with R, they have that, you know, to <laughs> right. go on for them, but they also served the song. Yeah. And like you said, that Greg Raleigh's not really flashy. And I don't really think of Ringo as a flashy d- drummer. Not at all. But he has some of the most iconic fills in rock and roll history. He always would play to the strength of the song to make the song a better thing. And the same with Greg Raleigh, right? That's right. Like his parts that he would add would be like essential to the song. You may not even realize what you're hearing. And that's that's almost like a really good musician's thing is to like, to be there and you don't even realize sometimes what's going down. But when you really figure out what both Raleigh and Ringo are doing, it's, it's amazing stuff. Well, you're absolutely correct. And the other thing too, is that the way they engineered the sound
0: of the drums, Ringo had a sound and he had that sound up, you know, when they started to work it with revolver and, and Sergeant Pepper and all that stuff like that, they started to change a little bit and sound a little bit more, um, I don't know how how you want to explain it, later 60s, but he always had that sound. Greg Rowley always had that organ sound. Keith Emerson always had that organ and Moog sound. You know, that kind of thing like that.
1: You can kind of pick out their fingerprint just like that. Absolutely. Oh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, that uh, Sears drum kit, that (laughs) might have been my first realization that when you see something in a catalog, it's not as cool when you actually get it. Oh no doubt. Because I remember we got one for Christmas, and we destroyed that thing by the end of like the sixth <laughs> hour that we had it, and it was so heartbreaking. That's when I was suspect of the comic book ads that had submarines in the back, right. or those. Remember they had the little sea creatures that you could buy, and they yep. didn't really have human faces i was so heartbroken what about x-ray specs there you go
0: (laughs) same same thing they didn't really work yeah we all remember those
1: ads from back then
0: well finally you know when i when i did you're absolutely correct about the the drums i mean there were toys but that was for me that was a learning experience Mm -hmm. you know so i was a young kid i didn't know and when i finally got a real drum i got one big snare drum and it was so old and had the cowhide head i don't know if any of you guys remember that yeah but before they had they had a cowhide you'd stretch it you'd you know and you tune it you had to bend the shit out of that thing to to get any kind of sound out of it and then i had a cymbal and that's all i had was a cowhide snare and a cymbal and when i when i was i think probably in the sixth seventh grade i did a a, uh talent show at my at my school and i did now see if you remember this whatever shape your stomach is in. You remember that? Or are you too young? I
1: might be too young. All right. It was
0: an Alka-Seltzer commercial. Oh,
1: yes, yes, yes. Okay.
0: And it had a song that they actually released as a song, and it it got popular, no matter what shape your stomach is in. Well, (laughs) I played the drums to that song, and I came in second.
1: Oh, there you go.
2: (laughs) No matter what shape your stomach's in. shape your stomach's in. When it gets out of shape, take Alka-Seltzer. Alka-Seltzer relieves the flutters, calms the nervous feeling, relieves heartburn, relieves the stuffy feeling, and relieves a headache. Better than any other antacid. Better than anything you can get without a prescription. Anything. Alka-Seltzer. It's the best. On any stomach.
0: What the next gateway did was at high school, and somebody hit me in the eye with a milk jug, and I said, "Screw this!" <laughs> I, I said, "That's it. I'm done with this." So, anyways, that's how it progressed from there.
1: And to me, it is totally reasonable that you would go from keyboards to drums because a lot of people don't realize this. But in theory, keyboards are a percussive instrument. Absolutely you're striking the key and the hammer is hitting a string somewhere. So yep. it really is a percussive instrument. It is. And it's also timing. Yeah. A lot of timing involved. Well, you
3: know, uh, Rick Nielsen and Robin Zander both started out wanting to be drummers. It seems like drums were a really attract are attractive to kids, you know?
0: That's and why then as you
3: get older, you branch out.
0: I, and it's, it's I don't know why. Like I said, I mean, my family told me that, I, you know, I don't remember it, but my family told me I went that quick. It's just something you did. And then it just I mean, and, you know, you didn't have anything really on TV that you could really relate to or want to be like until the Beatles came on. I mean, that's why everybody says like Rick and everybody else says it changed their life, you know, when the Beatles yeah. were. So that's what happened there.
3: Mm hmm.
1: So how did you get going in professional music? What Because I know that you've had interactions with Gene Simmons on, at some point, Diana Ross, and yeah. Mickey Free, and yeah. all the way to Cheap Trick. So kind of walk us through this a little bit.
0: Well, it's it's. I hope you got the time, because it's like one of these six separations of, uh, what's his name, Kevin Bacon or whatever, one of those things. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, first of all, I mean, you know, I, I was a complete progressive head, and my wife walked in one day i was listening to i don't know if you remember it but there was a band called mavis new orchestra uh-huh. john mclaughlin and and uh and uh the great drum billy Cobham and all these guys jan Hammer. Uh-huh. and i was listening to that record this was like probably 78 79 i had just finished listening to that record because i was you know that was you know that's the kind of stuff i like like to play and like to listen to and my wife walked in Enough. she goes, "Oh, I got a great new record. Everybody's talking about. These guys are great." And I'm going, "Okay." And I looked at the picture, and I saw, you know, uh, Robin and Tom on the front, and, and then um, she didn't show me the back. So she only showed me the front. And then she puts the record on, and I'm hearing, um, you know, "Surrender, Surrender," and I'm going, and I just listen to Ma Bishnu, which is like crazy stuff. And then I'm listening to "Surrender," and I'm going, "What the hell is this? Why would?" Where did you, why did you buy this? Because all the great everybody's talking about them. They're called cheap trick. And then I'm looking at the album and I, you know, I see a, a bunny and Rick on the other side, you know, and of course the reaction they got was the reaction they wanted. I mean, you know, two cute guys and the two goofy guys. And I, and I didn't think that much of it. And then my wife, we had a band and we were writing originals and we were rehearsing and, and we were a cover band that was writing originals, you know, the same thing everybody else was doing at the time in LA and my wife, Uh, And her friends rented a limo and went to go see Cheap Trick at Santa Monica Civic. Now, you guys are Cheap Trick aficionados. You know that that was one of their turning point gigs. Mm -hmm. And so they went and they came home and they were raving about Cheap Trick. So, you know, I put that all aside. I didn't think much about it. So I'm playing this club probably around 80. My wife and I divorced and she took off, took the the kid and the Cheap Trick records and left. (laughs) Uh, uh, then I got, uh, I was playing a club in Orange County, Orange County, California, what was a real big hub of, of, um, cover bands and stuff. And we were playing in the band and surprisingly enough, um, Mark Norton was our key, was our guitar player. As you know, Mark Norton is Mark St. John who went to Kiss, Yes. Who is who has since uh, passed away, but, uh, we were in a band together and, um, we were playing this club um a, a guy came up to me and he said um we just finished playing a kansas song and i was singing uh kansas you know it's got a lot of high notes in and stuff and i was singing mm-hmm. and anyway on the break he came up, i'll make it real fast he came up to me and he said listen we have a band we're from chicago we have a band we're going to be going on tour soon and our keyboard player is leaving to go join 707 and 707 was an la band that had a big hit at the time um I can't see. Yeah, I can't remember the name, but it was a big hit. And, and, uh, it turned out to be Todd, Todd Hallworth.
1: Good friend of the show. And, uh, we, we love Todd. Great guy. Todd's a,
0: Todd's a great guy. And he was the keyboard player for the, it was turned out to be the Mickey free band. So he said, Todd's leaving. He's joining 707. Would you be interested on, on, we have a tour coming up. Would you be interested in going? And, you know, I, 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 I obviously I said, well, yeah, I mean, I'll check it out. Definitely. So they wanted me to audition. So they gave me the. It was S.I.R. in L.A. Grabbed up all my stuff. I had a shitload of, of keyboards at the time. I had a big organ. I had this. I had that. I had, I had ARP, uh, Arp synthesizers. I had all this stuff, packed it all up. The band never helped me. They didn't want me to go. Packed it all up. Went did, I walked into S.I.R. and the first thing I see sitting on the couch is Gene Simmons and Diane Ross. That's awesome. So right there, I went, I, you know, I had no idea because they didn't tell me who it was for or anything. I just thought I'd take a shot, you know, because, you know, those kind of things don't happen all the time. Anyway, long story short, I went in and and it turned out to be the Mickey Free Band. Uh, John Brandt, of course, as you know, was the bass player. And um, they hired me. And so I went and told the band that I'm leaving and I'm going to go on tour. And um, that was it. So we uh, took off on Mickey Free Band, opened up for Diana Ross in probably late, 81, I'm going to say, around there. And uh, we did like four or five dates. Very interesting um, thing because we were universally booed off the stage. So (laughs) it was one of those. I mean, we were were booed off the stage so bad that at the last tour, because Diana Ross had a a, uh, – she was in the round. So she had a big stage right in the middle, and the whole arena was around her. And, and by the way, I have never played any kind of a tour or, or arena anywhere. So that was my first experience doing that. Wow. And she brought us up. She felt so bad that she brought us up. She goes, I have a good friend of mine. Well, as it turned out, she was managing. Dinah Ross was managing Mickey Free through her management company. That's why she took us to open up, to get some experience, you know, and all that kind of stuff like that. Anyway, so that's what happened with that. Well, apparently from that, Tom, at that time, as you know, left, um, left Cheap Trick. They were working on, I believe they were working on one-on-one, and they hired John Brant. So John Brant, who was also in the band with Todd, told them about me, and then they asked me to, uh, I got a call from Ken Adamani, and they asked me to come out and do an audition, so that's what I did. So And that, that's a whole other story in itself, that, you know, it's typical magic stuff that happens to magic, but that's that's another story.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, people don't realize how small of a world the entertainment world can be. Mm. That's true. Wouldn't you agree? Because, like you said, you walk in and there's Gene Simmons and Diana Ross. Diana Ross – and and at this point, I think Gene Simmons was kind of managing Diana Ross, and Diana Ross was managing Mickey Free, so Gene Simmons was probably managing Mickey Uh by proxy. I, sort I
0: don't, of... <laughs> I, I don't, well, I, in more ways than one, but I'm not going to go there. Um, no. <laughs> he, no, he, uh, he, um, I don't know about manager, but he was kind of like producing the band. Yes. He, we would set up an SIR and he would say, uh, listen, move over here. You know, he was showing us, you know, what, what the ropes were. And I'm not like a lot of them didn't know. I mean, Mickey was pretty much, you know, they, they were I guess they had a band called Thumbs, I guess, or something like that. I'm not really sure that's going way back. Mm-hmm. But they uh, you know he was showing the move and he was saying, you know, don't forget there's people in the back road in the cheap seats. point to them and you know that kind of stuff. and so and and so he was kind of doing that. and she was she had um, just started a management company. I believe it was RTC management, which was her kids her kids initials. That's how I remember it, anyway. So that Amazing. that's what helps. That and then again, Mark Mark St. John was in the band that I left to go play with Cheap Trick. And as you know the story of him, that's a whole other story
1: with him with Kiss. So yeah, that's a whole other podcast because we do one <laughs> called Pod Kissed, yeah. which uh, is similar to this one that we're doing about Cheap Trick. So right again, it's a small world. Yeah. So you you wind up working with Mickey Free and John Brandt, and right. then John Brant gets the gig with cheap trick and right. at this point there was no keyboard player correct magic
0: no no that yet there was no keyboard player at all the only keyboard player that ever played live on stage with them was jay winding or winding however you say his last name he was the guy that did all the albums he was tom mormon's um keyboard player you know pre- you know tom mormon produced the records as you know you you know all this um and he used uh, jay Winding on pretty much all the cheap
1: Trick albums So when you hear here on the uh, the studio version of Surrender, for example, that's him.
0: Yeah, that's Jay Winding, yes. Yep. Even going back to In Color, the piano and all that stuff on uh, I Want You to Want Me, the original version, a lot of that stuff was Jay Winding. And uh, Heaven Tonight and all that, all, all that stuff was Jay Winding, but he never toured with him. The only gig he ever did with Cheap Trick was on New Year's Eve 1979 in L.A., he 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 performed with them then because Rick and I just listened to it actually a couple of days ago I found it online and listened to it mm-hmm. phenomenal concert I mean yeah. you know phenomenal they were they were on fire that night and uh, yeah Jay was so they didn't really have a touring keyboard player so when I when I went out there to audition with them which was hilarious because first of all I missed the flight now how do you miss a flight to go audition with with one of the biggest bands at that time around I missed my I missed the flight I had to get on another flight I had to call the tour the tour manager, and, and John was actually with him, I said, I miss my flight, I'm, I'm freaking out, and they were all laughing on the other end, and they said, that's okay, what flight you anyway, so I made it there, we went over, I think, I know we went over She's Tight, because it was the one-on-one album, I went over She's Tight, I had already kind of shaped up some sounds on the on the ARP synthesizer to sound like some of the songs that were on that record to give them that taste, they had a Mellotron set up, they had a World set up, we went through that, went through She's Tight, all, they never really said anything, but we we did she's tight and Rick <laughs> Rick goes to Ken and goes I think this guy is saying she's type T-Y-T-E. <laughs> and, and I gotta say t- and now that's Rick so Ken comes over to me he goes are you saying she's tight I said absolutely I'm saying uh, yeah I'm saying she's tight He goes you really gotta pronounce tight it's tight not they think you're saying type like, oh, I I went okay no problem I thought that's the end of it well two three years later. Rick was still picking on me about she's type <laughs> uh, he'd walk he'd walk in and he'd ask Robin, hey is she's type on the set list tonight and, and all this stuff tonight. so I mean I, that's Rick and, you know I love the guys obviously I mean they're you know they're some of my friend, you know best friends so I, I love those guys but yeah they picked on me mercifully <laughs> to make a long story short we did the audition as soon as the audition was over we were right back on a plane so I had missed my flight flew from LA to Chicago did an audition for probably I would say no more than an hour hour and a half drove back to the airport got on a flight flew back to Los Angeles so they could film um, the two videos for one-on-one which was she's tight and uh, if you want my love and that was all in one day so and again this is a guy Uh that's never never done anything like that so it was it was pretty, you know, pretty crazy, you know, but listen, I have some kind of claim to fame from all that. So I'm happy, you know.
3: Yeah. And you were there for the video shoot. Or? I was
0: not there for the video shoot. Oh, okay. No, they did. They didn't involve me in that at all. I came home and went back to the cover band because I, you know, I, I, I didn't know they said they'd get in touch. Went back to the cover band. We were working. I um, And then I got a call probably a couple of weeks later and it was from Ken and he said uh, they want you to do the tour. So I I packed up my house, I told the landlord I was leaving, I grabbed my dog and gave it to my parents and uh, the rest is history.
1: So what was your first tour with the band?
0: The very first thing we did was um, Jack Murphy Stadium. That was my very first game. That was with Chuck Berry, Joan Jett and some other bands. There was probably about 40,000 plus and again, this is a guy that's never done anything like this. And yeah. so, and, and Cheap Trick, I saw one time live when the Cheap Trick came to L.A. with Nick Gilder. I think it was probably around 78, I think.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, My wife obviously wanted to go see him, so I took her, we went to go see him. They were great. Nick Gilder was, was good. So that was the only time I actually really saw him live. So the very first gig, I mean, obviously I was concentrating on what I had to play and I was kind of like behind the monitors because they sh- they didn't want the keyboards to be seen and I had all my lyrics up there because it was the first time playing with it. but the, you know the, the way it turned out is kind of funny I was just watching the show you know I mean I was yeah. I, I was watching the show as I was watching Cheap Trick not realizing I'm up there with them you know what I mean it's one of those weird things yeah. I'm actually <laughs> playing I'm playing but I'm watching them you know I'm going I can't I can't believe what's going on anyway so yeah that was that was my first gig with them
1: now I've got to ask you this weird question because I'm a weird guy. Yeah. Did your ex-wife ever ask for uh, comp tickets to see one of her favorite bands? Now that you were <laughs> working with them,
0: you're too smart for your own good.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, of course she did. Yes, and uh, yeah, no, she did. And uh, you know we were amical, amicable. You know, I mean, you know, it, you know that kind of shit happens. So.
1: I don't know, man. I'm a I'm a huge cheap trick fan, and if if there's a divorce that happens and she winds up with my cheap trick records, <laughs> that's not going to be amicable. Yeah, wait well, wait. You have to understand.
0: I'm mobbish new orchestra. Chick Korea, ELP, yes, <laughs> Genesis. I was happy to see him go at that time.
1: Yeah. At that point. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no. I she uh, yeah. I I actually invited her. We did. I believe it was the Palladium with I believe Eddie Money if I I mean I'm trying to remember all this stuff I can't remember yesterday and I'm trying to remember that um yeah it was um I think it was Eddie Money yeah and she came backstage and uh, you know, I took her right into the dressing room and introduced her to Robin because, you know, she named our dog Robin.
1: So, so she might actually be listening to this show. She's she's a real cheap trick fan. Well,
0: no, I think she's I think she well grew out of that. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> I
0: haven't talked I mean I haven't talked to her since then, so I possible. It's possible.
1: <laughs> so what was it like being on tour with the guys? What was it like being a member of the, the touring cheap trick?
0: uh let me see it's a, it's a um it's a tale of two different things um the first tour was a lot different than
1: the last one i just did and we're talking about the one-on-one tour
0: the the one-on-one, yeah, just it was to one-on-one. Set the stage. yeah it was the 80s tour which was 82 was a one-on-one then it went to uh next position please and then it went to standing on the edge the very beginnings of standing on the edge tour and um it was a different situation then because uh, you know, I was new green. I mean, I, you know, I'd be, you know, obviously I'd be the first student at that. Um, I had to, I had to ride the tour bus, the, the crew bus. I didn't tour. I didn't, uh, because the band flew and, uh, you know, obviously they didn't want to pay for me to fly around with them. So I had to go, uh, they put me on the crew bus, which was an interesting situation because, you know, the crew didn't have any clues to who I was. There were already a, you know, that band of brother thing, because right. they had done many, many tours with them before. Uh, so that was, you know, I was thrown into a weird situation. New, green, ripe for the picking, if you get my drift. Chubby guy, and in the 80s, you know, you you can't be chubby in the 80s. So you know, they, you know, there was a fair amount of picking and uh, that kind of stuff going on, you know. But hey, listen, you know, par for the course. It was a great learning experience. But anyway, but we did, uh, yeah, we we um, toured all over the place. Opened with a lot of bands. Played crow. Oh, I think the first tour we did was with um what's the name Uh, aldo nova Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and then we did a tour with saxon and crocus um yeah i mean we did a lot of stuff like that and um you know i'm i being on the tour bus obviously you know i got to meet a lot of girls that uh, not that i want to get into that but you meet a lot of girls that the crew can't meet because they're inside working so that put me in a precarious situation too um Anyway, but, you know, that's how it went. I mean, you know, they pulled some pranks on me and call me some names every once in a while. But, you know, I guess it was all in fun. I mean, you know, but it, it got a little wearing after, the, like, the third year of it. But, you know, they were great guys. I, I mean, I had nothing against them. They are great guys. It's just, you know, it's just the climate of what was going on then, you know. Mm-hmm. They got this guy. I mean, he's he's a musician. We don't know who he is. He's talent. We're crew. You know, we don't, we, you know, we don't know if we can talk around him. You know, that kind of stuff like that, you know. And I'm like, you guys can do it. I don't care. You guys can do whatever you want as
1: long as I have my job, you know? So, like, you're saying, hey, I'm with the band. I'm sure you are.
0: <laughs> well, kind of, sort of.
1: But, you know, I never,
0: I, you know, I, I would make sure I never asserted myself that way as a band member. I always wanted to be part of them. Just have, you know, have fun and do the stuff we were doing and meeting girls and all that kind of stuff like that. You know, I mean... I guess towards the end, it got a little bit better. But at first, you know, like I said, I was ripe for the picking.
1: So right. Well, there's your name of your book. <laughs> what, ripe for the picking? No, no. I'm with the band.
0: I'm with the band, yeah. Well, I, you know, I am <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'm going to write a book or not. I don't know who would be interested in even reading it. But I always wanted to title it, Happy as a Bastard on Father's Day.
1: Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, that's another thing. You know, it's weird cuz you're talking about like okay, there was Nick Gilder at this gig and then there's Crocus and Saxon and, and Mickey Free. It's just it's the world so far is very strange uh, mix of <laughs> genres, if you will. Yeah, it is. Oh, well we even did a show
0: with uh uh Rat and uh Twist the Sister. And we were the headliners. So wow. that was a weird good. I think that was God, that had to be maybe 83, 84, something like that. I'd have to think back. It was up north, north uh northeast somewhere. Yeah, I mean, worst thing we're you know that's cheap trick and then they're a cheap trick with Rick and Robin and and Bunny and and John and then you got these twisted sister guys that are like nine feet tall with all this makeup on and all this stuff like that and I, you know they're all good friends now but I mean it was it was weird back then to me anyway I mean you know yeah but yeah I think I think you know standout I mean I think the only funny or or standout thing would be how I got my name because they originally. See, they didn't want the keyboards to be seen. They wanted to be heard, but not seen. Mm. They wanted that. They wanted the look, and I, I totally understand that. Um, I was off to the side, behind the monitors, the side wedges. They were talking one day. We were up in, I believe, Seattle. We were just starting the tour, and we were. Um, they were. I guess they were discussing: should we introduce the keyboard player? Not introduce them. Well, they're going to hear keyboards. If we don't introduce them, you know, that kind of thing. And back then, uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy about tapes and Journey was using tapes and all this kind of stuff like that,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, before sequences and sampling, and all that stuff ever happened. There was controversy back then about that. Um, so I guess they made the decision that they should introduce the keyboard player. So they're out of the board and I was getting ready to do my sound check. And so I was, you know, whittling, I was doing some classical stuff on the piano and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. And I, one of them said, um, "Well, what, what are we gonna what are we gonna do about the keyboard player?" They never used my name. They said, "What are you gonna do about the keyboard player?" So Ken said, "Well, let's do this. Why don't you introduce them?" And they're talking to me on a talkback mic. Magic. We're, uh, I'm not. I mean, they didn't know magic yet. And They said, uh, "We're gonna intro keyboard. We're gonna introduce the keyboard player. Stick your hands out from the side of the wedges and wiggle your fingers." <laughs> and I said, "Okay." And you know, so we. We did that, not in the show. We did it right there, and they were all busting up laughing. Obviously, they thought that was funny. <laughs> so anyway, so I was playing the piano, doing all this, and then you know, look at some all that classical stuff. And somebody said something about that. Oh, this guy's magic, magical, or they something like that happened. And then one of them said, "Well, this is called magic." And then and then and then when the magic Christian, you know, they're big Beatles guys. Magic Christian, the movie, blah blah blah. So they said let's go with Magic Christian and from that nineteen eighty two I've been Magic Christian ever since. And that's to me that's one that stood out because that's how I got this the the name I got. Um other than that, uh yeah, I, I mean uh yeah, I you know, it was just crazy stuff. You know, a lot All of this. stuff happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just a lot of crazy I mean it's hard to pick one, you know.
3: All the tours probably kinda of blend together at this point too, huh?
0: Well, you can understand. I mean, there's a lot of touring involved. I mean, you're only on stage for, what, two hours, maybe two and a half if you're lucky. And the rest of the time you're in planes, buses, cars, whatever the case may be, hotel rooms. Yeah, so it does kind of uh, blend together. Probably more for them than me because, like, again, I was a new guy and I was soaking it all in. I think there was more memorable stuff with this last tour than there was on the first one. I've been though, I'm trying to think of, we, we opened, we played with John Wayne, uh, Crocus. I did some Aerosmith stuff in uh, Hawaii. I'm trying to think back. I mean, anything that really stands out that's, yeah, I mean I it's just touring and just playing and crazy stuff in the eighties, you know,
3: mm-hmm. now, if you were, as you were going from the one-on-one tour to the next position, please tour to the standard and the edge tour, mm-hmm. were you seeing the venue sizes getting smaller and the crowds shrinking, or were they maintaining their audience through that? Period? Well,
0: that that that's an interesting question. The, um, the one thing I did notice about in the very first tour, you know, obviously they're riding high from uh, I, you know, I don't know how um, uh, the album before what was the one that George Martin did.
3: All, all shook up.
0: up, yeah. Yeah, all shook up, yeah. I didn't know. I did that come before one on one? I believe it did. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I, I don't know how that did. I mean, I we were playing arenas, but we were always with opening acts. We would do an arena, and then the next day we would play a small club in Arizona. with had 500 people. And then we'd be yeah. back to an arena. Then we'd go to a theater. I mean, those guys played everywhere. Didn't matter big or small, they played everywhere. So, um, into uh, audiences dwindling. No, I, I, you know, I can't say that because I was never, how can I put this? There was always an act with them, like a Night Ranger Mm -hmm. or, or a a Crocus Saxon or, you know what I mean? I mean, it was in a theater. We were by ourselves. They did small theaters. We did 2000 seaters, 3000 seaters, 5000 seaters. I, you know, I can't, you know, it's one of those things I probably just didn't really
1: notice. So that's the thing I could say. Now you mentioned the eighties and the eighties. It was kind of known for uh, you know the big shoulders <laughs> on the f- women's fashion, but also uh, soundtrack work. And yeah. there's a couple s- soundtrack questions we'd like to ask you about. Like for example, you played on one of the most notorious cheap trick songs uh, of of note, and that now is, I know
0: where this is going.
1: <laughs> yeah, up the creek. Not only yes! that, but but you're in the video.
0: I'm up the creek. I did Up the Creek with him. That was actually uh, the only recording that I ever did with them. that we were actually all together in the studio and working out parts and singing and stuff. Um, I never did any recording with them. So in between the albums, I'd come home and go back to the cover band and do whatever stuff I did around here mm-hmm. waiting for the next tour to start because the producers had their own people they want to use. And now, later in the years, and being a studio guy myself and working in studios, and I have my own studio in my home and all that stuff – absolutely totally understand because i produced uh, uh local singers and stuff like that before you know back in the day and absolutely i want to use my own people that i knew and trusted so i got that so i never i never performed on any of the records but yeah up the creek we did it with uh at Pasha studios with spencer proffer uh you know that's the quiet riot guy yeah and um as you know you know that um and we yeah we recorded up the creek there we did all the vocals Rob and I worked out the part in the middle with the da, 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 That was all Robin and I working on that. Robin and I went in and did all the uh, the vocals, and uh, we even had some of the security guys come in and sing with us. A lot of those deep voices you hear there. Um, Wheel, Kirk Dyer, back in the day when he was there, he's passed away since. Um, I don't know if Paul was in on that, but, um, yeah, so we just all went and did big gang vocals. Rick and Todd uh, Todd Runner showed up and Rick and Todd sat in the studio console room and smoked cigars and blew everybody out of the room.
3: <laughs> oh, so was that was it around the same time they were doing Next Position Please? Then is that why Todd was around?
0: I believe that they just finished and released it. I, I you know I don't know the timeline. It's a long time ago. So yeah, he what they were definitely working with Todd. Yeah, that that was it. And then when it came to doing the video, they came to me and they they said they wanted me to. They started, you know, they started warming up to me and, and, and you know, adding me into certain things and stuff like that. Um, I think they really like me. You know, I mean, I thought we got along great and they liked me. They wanted me to be in the the pool scene when Bunny's in the pool with the girls.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: They they wanted the two girls to pop out. You know, we did two versions. There was one clothed and one unclothed for the I guess, for the Playboy channel or something like that. They wanted me to be in a bikini. Off, to the side, off to the this is this is the way they thought i mean this is what this is what they did the magic we want you to be on the side of the pool in a bikini and we're si- uh, sipping a drink well a i wasn't excited about it b i was still kind of, i was still a chubby guy so it's not going to look real pretty um so um i i you know you don't really want to tell your bosses no you know when they're asking you to do something in that instance, I said, nah, you know you guys I'd rather just not be in the video than do that." and, and they respected me for that, I guess, and they said, "Well, you know let's do this." so they put me in um, they put me in the the, the um, what was it, the the one-on one tour jacket, which kind of like it was a brown khaki jacket mm-hmm. and a hat and and they went to prop and got a dead parrot or, or a fake parrot. And put the parrot on my shoulder i mean we're i'm going what is it put a dead parrot on my shoulder now remember this is the video when they're going down the hill in the bathtub so i mean there was all kinds of weird stuff going on anyway so they put a parrot on my shoulder and you know i said well you know shit. nobody's going to know who i am i'm only going to you know they're only going to do one cameo thing they're not going to know who i am or what i do so i went and got uh i used to have this keyboard scarf which is the big thing back then and i Put the key- keyboard scarf on so when they saw me, they would know, oh, he must be the keyboard player. He's got a keyboard. scarf. Anyway, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, the crew went and got gallons of water. <laughs> so they, they said, magic, get in this bush and, and we want you to come up. You're going to have some we're going to have binoculars and we want you to look in the binoculars. Those guys are going to be out on the water. They're, we're going to put that in later. We want you to look through the binoculars and wave at them like you're like, you know, you're saying hi to all right, here's the magic. I you know, what the fuck? I don't know. So right, anyway, so I get in the bush, got the parrot on, I raise up, I, and they threw like, I don't know, five, six gallons of ice cold freezing water on. If you watch the video, I've, I've watched it on YouTube, and I paused it right there. The look on my face is priceless. I mean, it'll pretty much tell you how I was feeling. And they completely <laughs> they completely destroyed me with gallons of water, and that's, that's what's in the thing. The, and they show a picture of Rick. He's paddling and they wave they wave I guess they're waved and they cut and I wave at him and then he splashes the water I guess and then they put all this water in me mean, and that was my big debut and that's the one and only video I've ever been in
3: <laughs> so you had no idea that you were gonna get doused with water I, you know what
0: I, I saw the water I didn't think you know that it was really gonna happen I I didn't know they didn't really tell me it was going to happen as far as I remember. <laughs> And so that's why I had the reaction that I had, you know. (laughs) Anyway, but, uh, you know, hey, listen, you look back and, and, uh, you know, I was glad to be there. It's fun. It's fun stuff. And I've got something to talk about. And, uh, you know, it's all good.
1: It's all good. Just on a personal note, do you understand at all why it seems like Rick does not care for this song at this point? Is there any reason that you could give us?
0: Uh, Well, you know. I don't, you know, it's one of those things. I don't know if I'd want to speak for Rick. You know, that's maybe a question right. you'd have to ask Rick. But yeah, it's, it's well known that he doesn't like the song. We used to play it. I mean, there's actually a video of us playing it at, um, I guess it's the Palace in uh, in Los Angeles. There, somebody did somebody did uh, grab it off the video and put it on, and uh, I think that's the only time. That I think that's the only thing out there that actually has the band playing it live, and I, you know, I don't know. I I really know. I can't be honest with you. I I, I mean, I know they didn't want to do it. I mean, people ask for that song, if anything, just for nostalgia. Please, that and Reach Out are two of the biggest requests that I used to get from people that, that, you know, wanted to hear They always want Up the Creek and Reach Out. And I think, like I said, I think we played it that one time at the Palace. It was recorded for TV, and that's... As far as i can tell that's uh, we might have played it live in a couple of concerts and then we just kind of like dropped it
3: well he probably wrote it really fast right like it was just the thing where they asked for a song for this movie and he just wrote it,
0: it it's possible it's yeah. possible you know i mean we came up with a couple of parts of the the the, the open g part where i did that one line well up the creek without a paddle i right, we kind of put that together in the studio um, and Rick had the rest of that stuff and, and uh, you know, rest of the opening and all that stuff like that. And we just, it was kind of created, you know, in the studio, mainly, you know, obviously mainly Rick and Robin and, um, at that point. And then uh, you know, we went in and sang it. Yeah, and that was pretty much it. That, and then uh, I guess there was another song, uh, um, Dancing the Night Away
1: mm-hmm.
0: was uh, another song that we played live. I mean, I've got recordings of it. I think that's, we did that for one tour, I think, and then and we never played it again, obviously, because, you know, they didn't, I don't know if they really care for the song. I think it was kind of pushed on them from Epic, and you know, that's yeah. all, that story that's well known, I'm not telling any tales out of, you know. Right. That, you know, so. But yeah, Reach Out and Up The Creek are the two biggest songs that the fans want to hear that, that they're not playing. Mm-hmm. This next song we're about to do
2: was written for the heavy metal movie and it's called Reach Out and Take It and it starts with Mr. Magic Christian on the keyboards
1: you worked on demo versions of the song Love Comes, right? Wow. You did your research. Well, we are cheap (laughs) trick nerds. What can I tell you?
0: And so am I, and I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, we did in, I believe it was 83, we did, went and did some demos for a movie, Teachers. Just what the
3: hell are you guys
2: running here? zoo? your school psychologist has flipped out. And if that's not enough, one of your kids tries to eat one of your teachers, Mr. Abel, What the hell do you call that? Monday.
0: And we did um, we did teachers, the love thing from Teachers, you know, doing soundtrack stuff. One of them was Love Comes, which at that time was called Love Comes Around. And then there was uh, a redo of Go Go Girls, which was an off song that I guess they had. I don't know. I didn't know well, anything.
3: About really? Yeah. Yeah. That's an old song.
0: Yeah, we went back and did a re-reboot rever- a, re- a redo of that. Uh, oh Wow. Yeah. Nobody's ever heard that. I, I I don't know how many I have. Well, obviously they'll have it. I have copies of it. I would, you know, I would never put it out there obviously without, you know, their, their consent. But uh, yeah, so we did that. But yeah, love comes, it's an interesting story too. I mean, I don't know if this is interesting to you or not, but I'll tell you. For sure. um, um, we did, yeah, we did it in the studio and the, there was the breach that's on the album was not in the original version. So they added that in for the, for the act when they did the album.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I came up with the parts for the for the little ding, 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 and I did it on an old Juno 60, which I still have and still works, by the way. Um, and I did those sounds. I mean, not the greatest sounds, but it was just they wanted something there, and I did it. Then I did a nice a pad sound, and then I did a little organ, ding, 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 just to fill in the tracks. Right. And, it sound, you know, I thought it sounded good. Obviously, they thought it sounded good because when they did the album, I was not asked to play on the album, obviously, because Jack uh, Douglas did it. And uh, you know, wanted to use his own keyboard. I believe it was at that time going to say Mark something or other. Mark,
2: Right, uh, right.
0: Uh, Radice, Radice, something like that. Right. I guess he had co-wrote some of the songs so they used them as the keyboard player. Anyway, what they did was I got a call from the manager and said, uh, Magic, we're sending uh, they, had, they ran two 24s back then. We're sending one of the tapes out to Los Angeles. We want you to come and play your parts on the song. The guys like your parts. And I was shocked. I went, Man, I can't believe it. Oh man, that's great. So I went and there was a studio out um in um, in LA somewhere. It was um it was um uh, the engine one of Rod Stewart's studio engineers. And we sat and he played the parts and I added all my parts on there and that's what you that's what's um eventually made the record. I mean they're mixed down into the song, but they are there. So and that was um yeah, that was Love Come. So what happened was they ended up adding a bridge to it. Yeah, it wasn't in the original version, and then they put it on there. I I always thought it was a great song. I love that song. Love comes round just
2: in time.
3: Did you there's a song called, I think, Teacher Teacher that was by Brian Adams and Jim Valance, that 38th special ended mm-hmm. up doing for that teacher's soundtrack. Is that the song that Cheap Trick demoed or no. was it a different song?
0: No, no, no. No, is okay. the one that Rick did was a Rick's song was a Cheap Trick song.
3: Really? Oh, no.
0: Yeah. Nobody's ever heard it.
3: Wow. Wow. Yeah, so it was a and separate he wrote song it. Was... He wrote it specifically for that movie. Yep. We wrote
0: wow. it. We wrote it for the movie. Well, he did, I mean, you know, him and Robin, yeah. obviously, because Robin was the singer. They wrote the music for teachers. And Bunny worked out all his parts. And then what we did was they wanted, they asked for like a love scene version, you know, how you get love scene versions, and they play the melody of the title of the movie. Mm-hmm, we right. went in, we did like a real nice piano uh, thing of it with Bunny, me, and John, and Rick played little solos in between, and we did like a love scene version of the theme of what Rick had written. Um, of course, it didn't make the movie, so... That's why nobody's ever
3: heard it. they could have put it on the box set,
0: <laughs> yeah, you mean the sex, whatever that yeah, thing is? yeah, I you know i I don't know i I don't you know that's the question you have to ask them,
1: but then again, something that we've always wanted from cheap trick is not make out music for a movie scene. that's True. not high on the list, you know what no. I mean,
3: oh, but there's a song, there's a song called Teachers that Rick wrote. that's what we want. Yeah, we've never heard. <laughs> Well, hey,
0: you're going to have to track him down and ask to hear that, because
3: yeah. I oh, there's <laughs> And like, there's a version of this 80s, 80s version of I Dig Go-Go Girls. That's crazy.
0: It was actually pretty cool. I mean, you know, again, I'm I'm loving Cheap Trick stuff because I'm part of the situation now. Again, if I would have heard that, that not being in the band, I would have went, "Oh, this is crap." But you know, when you're with them and you get that bond, and you you know, you know the kind of guys they are, even though they picked on me mercilessly. Um, <laughs> but you know, hey, listen, I was like the little, uh, and they still do to this day. Yeah. So that was. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of little demo things um, that I have that you know that that really never turned out to be songs right so, except love comes did it was a song that that finally made an album out of the demos that we did but um the any demo that i was involved with uh,
1: never saw the light of day other than um uh, love comes
2: right
1: now as far as this i did go go girls 80s version was this something that might have been played in the background of a bar or something where you would it was just an innocuous song at least that's kind of how i'm imagining it like it it probably wasn't something you guys spent a lot of time on right
0: they knocked it out because obviously they knew the song um and robin and i went in there and um we did um there was a part in the middle uh that had a um a drinking thing uh, i don't know if that's even in the original version i don't know and I went in and made a little French horn sound. And I went in there and it sounded like an orchestra doing it. And, so, you know, weird stuff. But no, I don't know if it was meant to be in the album or the background or anything. I really don't know. I, I, you know, they didn't tell me a whole bunch of what was going on.
3: Or was it was it to offer up for this movie soundtrack, for the teacher's soundtrack? Is that what
1: it was?
0: Well, it was part of the demo that, that uh, we turned in. So I'm assuming, yeah, yeah I'm assuming right. yeah, they wanted it for some kind of scene or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope that gets kicked free. That would be nice to hear that. Yeah. Every once in a while, we'll mention something, and it just finds its way out of the ether into the cheap trick fan sphere, if you will. So oh. that would be really cool. You never know. It won't be for me, though. I don't no, 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 no. no, 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 no. <laughs> Not at all. Not yeah, even trying to I,
3: insinuate that. As far as I know, that's something that nobody nobody knows out well, there, I, there, that they did Go-Go Girls in the 80s. Like, that's that's really cool.
0: Yeah, like again I I don't remember the first one. I know the first one was out. I don't know if it was on the first record or
3: no, really... they they recorded it for the first record, but it never came out until in the 90s.
1: So
0: Oh, so there is a version out there then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: okay. Okay, I
1: didn't know that. I don't know if it's the one that we did. I'd have to hear it to see. No, it's it's not the one you did for sure. Oh, uh... What eventually led to you dropping off with Cheap Trick? I mean, you would figure they would need you at that point more than ever for the doctor. As keyboardy as that album was, <laughs> yeah, that's their most keyboard-heavy album.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I did play a couple of songs off of it, and I guess well, '85 was, was the last time I was with them before the new year, uh, the um, 2009. Um, I think we did uh, "Take Me to the Top." We did that a couple of times. Yeah, you know, I wasn't really familiar with that album, uh, I, maybe we didn't, because I remember doing it on the 09 and 10 tours, and we did, uh, we pulled out all kinds of stuff on that. Um, I don't know if I played, um, I don't know if I played that back in the 80s, I don't remember. The last stuff I remember doing was Standing on the Edge, which was, a, t- for me, a phenomenal song. If you want keyboard heavy, there's a ton of keyboards in there. <laughs> uh, is it alright if we do another new
2: song for you? Is that a Yes standing on the edge.
3: For, a,
0: for well, and, and it's weird for a band that didn't really want keyboards. They used a lot of keyboards. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, you know, I'm just saying. I mean, you know, when they redid the In Color album, they basically uh, redid it heavier sounding with no keyboards. Other yeah. than that, I, they didn't really change much on it um, from the little stuff that I've heard. Um, so I, you know, I I I don't know. Everybody says well, they're not really a keyboard band. Well, they've had me, Jay Winding on a cup on one thing. They had Todd for a number of years. They had uh, another guy. I was saying Steve Walsh for a, right. for Appetite. So for a band that didn't really want keyboards, they've had a lot of keyboard players. So I just, I, you know, I, I'm just lucky to be there. And I, and they're a hot rock and roll Hall of Fame band. And in a small whatever small part I got to play in that, and still get a text every once in a while from the guys, and you know, picking on me or, or saying hi or sending me a funny picture or something like that. I mean, it's
1: it's a good thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So. I know that in '99, when they did the uh, 25th anniversary performance in Rockford, Illinois, there Mm -hmm. was an attempt from the band to try to get a hold of you. Uh, What was it that you didn't see the bat signal?
0: According to Bunny, I had we had um, my my now girlfriend and I had, uh, or faux wife, whatever you want to call it, uh, we had uh, moved into a new house in Reno, Nevada, and apparently, yeah, Bunny was using an old number. And trying to get a hold of me, you know, there wasn't a lot of emails and all that stuff back back then. So, a lot of internet stuff. And I, I guess the number that he had. um, And the funny thing though is, I had his number. He never changed his number. I had Bunny's number, but he had an old number of mine. Apparently, when I call, I call when I found out they were going to be in Fort Lauderdale in, I believe it was 2002.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I called. I believe I reached out to Todd, sent him an email, and asked him to ask Bunny if it would be okay for him to give me Bunny's phone number, because I hadn't talked to the guys in 10 years at that time. So anyway, Todd emailed me back, gave me the number, and said, yeah, Bunny said give him a call. And when I called Bunny at that time is when he told me they were trying to get a hold of me for the 25th uh, anniversary. They got Todd, and John was there. Uh, Todd was there, and they wanted me to be the other keyboard player, which obviously I would have been honored to be there. Um, But it just never materialized they couldn't get a hold of me and uh i remember when i got the the when i watched on i don't know, i guess i watched on tv or got the dvd i can't remember what it was and it's just it was phenomenal you know seeing the guys and hearing the stuff and seeing holland up there and holland you know when i was with them was a little baby you know the cutest right. little kid and she's up there singing with robin and you know i got a little bit clamped if i gotta tell you
1: right so. yeah it's it's definitely a great moment from that night
0: yeah, I wish I would have been there. I wish I would have been there, but I anyway, mean, from that we did I did a club thing with uh with them in Fort Lauderdale and then I never talked to them again until I said, you know, I said earlier that I went to go see them at at the concert here in West Palm Beach with Hart and um, Journey and from there started a whole new a whole new life
1: with them for another 4 years, you know? Well, let's kind of set the stage a little bit because as we mentioned, they tried to get a hold of you on the 25th anniversary tour in right. Rockford. And then in 2002, you wound up uh, playing with them in Fort Lauderdale, and that was the first time you played with them in over 16 years, right, at the time?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was was a while. And I just, I called, when I did get the, I called Bunny, and I said, Bunny, you know, hey, listen, you know, we had a business going here. Everything was good. The business was good. Uh, You know, I didn't need the money at the time. And I I said, Bunny, I'd love to come down and play with, you know, just sit in with you guys, you know. So I showed up at this club and it was like a really small club in Fort Lauderdale. They were on the stage really small and I mean, cramped together. I got pictures of it. It's hilarious. Cramped together. And then there was this flight of stairs that went up where the trooper was, where the, where the big spotlight was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they put me up there. So I had to climb up these stairs, these old rickety wooden stairs, put my keyboards up there, set them up. And the sound guy came in and said, this is the first time I've ever mixed Cheap trick with keyboards. What exactly are you going to be playing? I said, well, I'm going to be playing piano, and I learned all these parts for the flame and all this stuff like that, and you know, and and he, and pretty much told him what I was going to do, and then that was that, and we did the gig, and I was up there, and and uh, it was it was weird, but I was there. I hadn't been there in a long time. I knew the stuff like the back of my hand, so you know, it was no problem playing the stuff. And uh, uh, one of the highlights there was um, when they came to introduce me. Rick said, "Wow, we like to introduce our keyboard player, and they still talk about this to this day. Especially the crew he said, we want to introduce our keyboard player. He used to play with us years ago, but he's been in rehab for the last 10 years. So we, he <laughs> just got out. So we want to introduce him, ladies and gentlemen. So he's Spot Man. Give magic a light, ladies and gentlemen. Magic. And this now, mind you, the spot was right next to me. <laughs> so they put they put this thing in my face, and they were." But, I mean, they were they were on the floor. I mean, I've never seen them laugh so hard in their life. This huge trooper spotlight, like 10 feet away from me and in my face. And just, I, I mean, it was blinding. And they were just busting up. And, and again, to the crew to this day, the crew that's with them now still talks about it. And they're all, you know, oh, God, I wish I was there. Then I would have loved to see that. And, you know, all that kind of stuff like that. Anyway, so that's that's how that came about. And then after that, I never, I never really heard, uh, heard from him again. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you know, gee, maybe they'll, maybe they'll want the keyboards again and, you know, something might come of this. And, and no, nothing ever happened. And understandably so.
1: Now, during that 16-year period of time, you, uh, you were very busy. You recorded a solo album called No Prisoner. Oh, God. Oh, you don't I like had...
0: it? <laughs> no, you know what? Listen. It's the curse of YouTube. I mean, I would have rather that stuff wouldn't be out there. But, you know, listen, I, you know, I, you know, I'm too old to care anymore. Yeah, we did an album called No Prisoner. It should have been No Prisoners with an S on the end. But in my, you know, my state, I said, it was called No Prison. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was an honest effort. Um, It did, you know, not all of it was great. I liked a couple of songs on it. There's a couple that I wish never made their record and I wish they never put it out, that kind of stuff like that. But that's part of life. I mean, you know, there, you can't hide anything from YouTube anymore, as you guys probably know.
1: Yeah, but you can't hide anything from us either. I mean, we are obsessive, and we love that you're part of the story. So it's up to we we have it in our nature. Yeah, I know. To investigate this stuff and check it out because you're part of the like, for example, Kiss has history. Well, there's right there's for cheap trick. It's cheap tricks Yeah, how do you <laughs> say it, BJ? Anyway. <laughs> Uh, you know, hey, listen.
0: Again, I appreciate being a part of it. I mean, you know, Todd's a part of it. I'm a part of it. Uh, you know, whoever else. Uh, you know, so yeah. And P- uh, Pete Pete Peter's a part of it. What's a, John's a part of it? We all have different lives now, but uh, you know, it's all a part of uh, of making uh, the Cheap Trick what it is. And uh, it, whatever small part I played, you know, I, I'm a very appreciative. I love the guys, and I thank them very much for for having me in the years that they did. So.
3: I like the No Prisoner album. I like that kind of music. That AOR music from the 80s so
0: well you know it's one of those things I you know yeah I, we had a, a guitar player named Stevie Salas a young kid he had a great sound and I want you know at that time obviously you know everything was changing in LA you went from the knack you now all of a sudden Motley Crew and all stuff. you know I was never I was never hip enough to to be that kind of stuff so I tried to write classic hook songs with a love thing and and have a heavy guitar and I'm going to squeeze my nuts so hard so I can sing as high as I possibly can, <laughs> you know, all that stuff was happening then and, and that's, you know, that's that's what I did. Um, You know, the record, it was a small company, the record didn't do much. I felt better about the next record I did, which probably I don't know if you were going to bring up or not, but I did an album called Big Mouth. And that was I relinquished myself away from being the singer guy and just being a band member and working with band members and working with the singer. And and still, as it turned out, still had that love edge and, you know, this and that. And grunge was really coming in. It came out at the time that, uh, you know, Nirvana and Chili Peppers and Seattle and all that stuff came out, changed the history of music at that point. And so um, we did an album, and we did the Big Mouth album, and, and uh, you know, eventually it got shelved.
1: And the name of that album was The Hands of Time by Big Mouth.
0: Hands of Time. That was the first song I ever wrote for that project. And um, it was the first time we had a bass player that had just came up with this idea of adding the fifth bass string. hmm So he had this, if you listen to that song, the very first note he hits is like on this low string. He hit this open, I mean, it was just like, I went, oh man, that's such a phenomenal sound.
2: gentle kiss and send it on the wind I hope it reaches you someday in these troubled times the blues can settle in and bright skies banished in the hay.
0: we had a guitar player that for me, if you go back and listen to the album to me, I, and I've told him i I ran into him. I mean, I called him once uh, from the Paris when we were doing the Sgt. Pepper show, I wanted to invite him to come and see the show. His name was Basil Fung. He was, and I'm, I'm telling you, if you go back and listen to the album, the guitar playing on that is just phenomenal. And, and I, you know, I love hearing it. I mean, the keyboards were, were just some pads and stuff that I played. I was more concentrating on the songwriting then, but the, uh, the guitar player just, made that album, you know, phenomenal. And every time I listen to it, I listen to his playing. I'm like, Jesus, this guy's, this guy made the record. And, you know, and the singer was good. His name was Larry Leon. Larry was a local Hollywood um, singer, had kind of a name in the, in the L.A. area. High singer, you know, big high voice and big voice. And, you know, I thought uh, maybe that might have a, a better chance. And then Nirvana and uh, the Seattle stuff just put it on the shelf. Never heard from it again.
3: Right. So then, in 2008, you end up uh, going out on tour with Cheap Trick again, right?
0: Uh, I didn't do a tour. What happened was I went and said uh, hi to Bunny backstage, and I was complimenting him on the Rockford album because I thought the Rockford album, um, so, you know, a lot of the songs on there were were just great.
3: Love it. Great uh, album. Great, yeah. great record.
0: And I told, and I said, God, Bunny, I said, man, that, that's a great record. And and the funny thing is that he said <laughs> what he says to me. He goes. Well, imagine you know i don't know if you've ever talked to Bunny before but you know he goes hey well imagine He goes, you think this album's great wait to hear the next one he goes we're calling it delays he goes wait till you hear this one And i'm like yeah i mean everybody says that oh yeah i can i can hardly wait to hear it you know not knowing what was coming i just said uh bunny i said you know and this now this is before the crash oh eight things were going really well our business here i had an entertainment company which i still have here with my partner and my girlfriend and we have a, we had a great business and so i um I said, "Bunny, hey, listen, you know, call me up. Maybe I'll come out and play with you guys sometime. You know, I never mentioned money or anything like that." I said, eh, you know, I was joking." I said, "Just stick me on the bus, and we'll go out, and you know." And, and I didn't think anything of it. So I never heard. I saw the show. the said goodbye to him. Never saw. Never heard from him again.
1: Magic, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to work? With Cheap Trick in 2008 on the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band* album and its entirety, which was at Ruth Eckert Hall in Clearwater, Florida. A couple of months later, I got a call from
0: Dave Fry. Well, Dave Fry got my number that night. Dave Fry was their manager at the time. Mm-hmm. He got my number and and uh, he said, "You might, I give you a call." I said, "No, absolutely not. I didn't think I didn't think I was ever going to hear from him. I thought the keyboard thing was done because Todd was long gone." So, if, you know, from the 2000s on until I think he did one Japanese thing with them, there was no keyboards. They were back to a 4 piece again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I thought the keyboard era with the, with them were done. Anyway, to make a long story short, they did the the um, uh, the Beatles, I mean, the Sgt. Pepper album at the Hollywood Bowl. And what they were going to do was they were going to do it in Clearwater as a charity event for one of Robin's charities. The keyboard player that did the Hollywood Bowl couldn't do the show. I guess uh, he was in a band called, I believe, Government Mule or, or something like that. Okay. And, and he couldn't do uh, the gig. They had a gig, so he couldn't do it. So I got a call from Dave Fry, and then I got a call from Bunny. They said, would you be interested in coming and doing the show up in Clearwater? Because I live in Lighthouse Point, which is South Florida. So they said, would you like to come up to Tampa and do this show? I said, ah, absolutely, I would. So I went back and listened to the Hollywood Bowl show that they did. And um, I noticed, I, I didn't to me, I didn't think the, the keyboard player is great. He's a great player, but I didn't think he was capturing what was on the record you know what i mean so i kind of woodshedded i i went and bought a, a sampler keyboard uh, i got the album and i sampled the opening and i sampled certain things and the dogs barking and i got all these samples stuff that i didn't think they even knew what was what was going to come and i i had woodshedded probably a good month on the album and shaped every sound uh the harpsichord for lucy in the beginning all that stuff and I, I shaped it as close as i could possibly get it and uh showed up in clearwater for a rehearsal we did it we rehearsed in one day and then of course to meet jeff emmerich was just like uh you know a phenomenal thing for me uh, he was a great guy since passed but he, he's a great guy and we had a lot of good conversations with him you know he um wasn't totally a fan of the of the um, digital keyboard i think he wanted more of the original sound but I think when he heard what I was doing with it and how I was shaping it and how it fit into the overall sound with the orchestra and everything, um, he went ahead and, and went with it. We did the show that night, and I know there's some videos out there. Uh, we did we rehearsed one day, and then the next day we came back and did the show. And, man, I mean, it, it went off without a hitch. And uh, the guitar player, uh, Bill Lloyd, was playing guitar, and he knows all the Beatles parts and all the harmonies. We did that show did all the harmonies and everything that you heard in the show that we did. And after the show, we went backstage and, and Bill looked at me and he goes, you know, we just did the show and we didn't rehearse one vocal part. And I said, Oh man, I, I, I didn't even realize that because we, you know, it was so hectic and trying to get the whole thing together that he heard what I was singing and he went ahead and took the other part. And then when I would hear him singing, I went ahead and took the other part. And that's how it worked out. And I think, you know obviously they they liked it because um i got a call probably a couple of months later and uh, they asked me to go on tour with them again so
1: we're happy with you doing this because in the summer of 2009, Cheap Trick, along with you, Magic Christian, yep. providing yep. keyboards and backup vocals, completed a 41-city North American tour along with Poison and Def Leppard. So yeah. tell us about that tour.
0: Um, that Okay, again, when I said earlier, it's a tale of two tours because this tour was completely different than the first one. Um, I traveled with the band, I was basically treated as a band member. They told the crew to treat me as a band member. Um I was basically the fifth Beatle. So, you know, I was uh I was what's his name? Murray the K. No, no. no. <laughs> Close. Not that one. No,
1: um, the other fifth Beatle.
0: The other keyboard player. Um anyway, yeah. So I was yeah, it was a whole different situation. It it was very tame um and everybody treated each other with respect you know it wasn't the 80s anymore uh, some of the wives were out with the kids and stuff like that so it was more of a family uh situation um i was you know i was accepted very well i still you know off to the side of the stage you know they still that sometimes the keyboard just because of the situation they were in the keyboards might have been on stage a little bit or whatever but mostly again it was off to keep that look um Mm-hmm. it was a whole different situation. It was, it was, um, I mean, they picked on me still, but I mean, it, it was a lot more respect and, uh, um, you know, and come to find out that, uh, um, you know, we were, we were grooming ourselves because the Sergeant Pepper show had been picked up in Las Vegas and we were going to do a sit down at the Hilton. I think we had like nine or 10 shows. So, we were grooming ourselves for that. We were actually playing some Beatles songs live. We actually did "Day in the Life" live with the alarm clock and the piano and the string build-up on that big thing. I had a patch that I built that sounded like the big orchestra going up to that big crescendo at the end. I had the mm-hmm. piano, the piano slam at the end, the and we actually played that. I mean, there is a couple of videos out there. Uh, I think at Jones Beach, New York. If somebody wants to search out there, they can hear it that we actually uh, played it live. Um, and it was great. I mean, and, and pretty much from there and, oh, but getting back to, you know, the, 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 the best part of all of it was I got to hear the latest and I was just like blown away to To me, that's the greatest thing because great cheap trick songs, great production from Julian Raymond, great keyboard work, even though I didn't do it, but it's great keyboard work from, from Roger and, and Roger Manning. And uh and I got to play it and I got to learn all the parts and Roger was very cool. He sent me some isolations so I could hear what he was doing and shape sounds and do stuff like that. He was very cool about that. And um, you know, that to me that's that's my all-time favorite cheap trick record. I mean a lot of people out there argue because well it's overproduced and this and that you know, I'm into that. I like overproduction. I like yes, so why wouldn't I like the la- you know, the latest? hmm you know, with the production that was on there. And Julian Raymond did a, a phenomenal job, phenomenal job, I thought, anyway. Can I answer your question?
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, you did fine. <laughs> and, of course, you did the nine Sgt. Pepper live featuring cheap trick shows at the Las Vegas Hilton with our good friend Brian Beebe. Yes. Those were very special as well.
0: I think uh, I only met Brian a couple of times. I, I, I don't know. I don't remember him that one, but I think he did the Paris with us, too. Uh, he might have been there for the first way. I mean, you would know better than me because you know Brian. So I met him a couple of times because they, they were upstairs in this big loft. You know, they had built a big stage rig, and yeah. all the singers in the orchestra was up there. And, he, and originally, I was supposed to be up there, too. But Bunny wanted to have eye contact with me for endings and samples and things like that. So he had talked them into having me actually on stage. So we had Bill Lloyd on one side, me on the other, the band in the middle. Now, that was a weird show because we had other artists. There was other um, guest, guest singers there and a whole different band. The opening of that had a different drummer and a different bass player. And Bill Lloyd was playing guitar. And then they had guests. I think uh, one was the only one I really kind of remember that I knew of was Joan Osborne.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I believe they did the Hollywood Bowl stuff. So um, they came and, and, and we they sang, um, I guess, some opening Beatles songs. And then we went into the Sgt. Pepper. So, yeah, that was that was the first thing that we did.
1: Fantastic. Now, you've talked about how Cheap Trick has tried to maintain that four-person band image and having you off to the side and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's understandable. That's the, the image that they've always put forth. And the original Cheap Trick has such a large shadow. Right. On No matter who comes and goes in that band, and we've been blessed to to have people like John Brandt and Pete Kamita and uh you know others like for example, you and Todd and everybody else right, but there was a personnel change that had to be kind of odd. We love both Bunny Carlos and we love Dax nielsen here so it's it's not like we're uh, coming at this from some weird thing, we appreciate everybody that's ever been a part of this band's story because it's the music that matters it's right it's the concerts that matter it's not the personal things in the back but was there any uh difficulty in transition from going from the the bunny years to the Dax years?
0: let me see well i you know i don't i I'm not going to get into the
1: personal end of it. We're not looking for dirt here. We just right. want to know what was it like to go from this to that, and you know, because they both exist and we love them both. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, first of all, um, Dax is a multi uh, instrumentalist, so he plays all kinds of stuff, which I didn't know till later. But I, the only thing I knew about Dax was, in back in the day, probably around two thousand, two thousand one. Bunny had some surgery or something that happened that Bunny couldn't do a certain tour or a certain couple of shows. And he actually groomed Dax, showed him the part. So Dax actually played it like Bunny would have played it. So that's that's how that whole thing started. And then the very first of which I did mention earlier, but the very first gig I did with them in 09 Right before the tour, Bunny, we had a show, a private show at some guy's house. A guy in New York, big money guy, that had a whole stage set up in the back of his yard, and he only played for his friends and neighbors. But he hired Cheap Trick, um, and Bunny couldn't do it. And Dax was there, so that's the first time I actually really played with Dax, playing the parts. Hey, listen, played. He knew, you know, he's he's, look who his father is. I mean, he know he knows the stuff. He knew the stuff. Bunny had showed him the stuff. Um, when in, in, 10, 2010, um, I, I just got a call. I just got a call uh, one day from Carla, the um, tour manager. And she said, um, uh, bunny's out. And I, I didn't, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't want to know. I just, I said, okay, i thought maybe I might be next. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're doing a whole reconstruction. I don't know. I didn't know. Uh, all I knew is we had to be in Austin to do, uh, Austin city limits, and then we were doing the the South by Southwest. And I showed up and, and uh, Dax was there. I, I don't know if you've, you've probably seen the show, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely nailed it. Just just nailed it. The feels of the song. Not that Bunny, you know, Bunny's a phenomenal drummer. And he is the fourth member of Cheap Trick. That's never going to change. Right. But Dax, I mean, he the fact that he walked in, the poor kid had to be nervous as hell. We didn't rehearse. This was... We went straight to, I, I mean, I, I don't remember rehearsing. We might have done a quick rehearsal before the shooting. Probably, maybe we did. I don't remember. That's a long time ago. Uh, well, not that long, but for me, it's a long time. He nailed it. I mean, and, and, and it's just great. I mean, if you watch the show, I would, it was great. And we had Roger uh, uh, doubling up on some keyboard parts for that. Yeah, and then from there on, we uh, we just went on. I mean, Listen, I mean, I mean, there's stuff out there in the press of what was going on in the band at the time. I don't need to, to say any more than that. You know, I knew about it. I lived it. it. It is what it is. I mean, he's still a member of Cheap Trick, Bunny. And, uh, I mean, look how it turned out. I mean, now they got Robin Jr. is up there playing guitar with him now. So, you know, it was just the natural order of things, you know. But that's uh, to answer your question the best way I can, I mean, he just nailed it. And from then on, it was a tight ship from there. And we went on.
1: Very good, fantastic.
0: I, you know, I will say I did notice that he's a pocket player, uh, you know, and, and that might have been the only difference. A lot of people say, well, he's not as flashy as Bunny and that, and that, but but I Dax wants to play the songs and give it the respect that the songs deserve. Not that Bunny didn't. I'm mean, we're, we're we're talking about the guy that's on there now. He yeah. wanted to give give the songs. Uh, Bunny wanted to rock those songs. I mean, Bunny, man, when we went out there, we smashed those songs. Uh, Dax uh, approach, he's smashing it, but he's giving it the respect. You know, maybe you know he had he set tempos, and he you know, at first, and we you know we start off to a click, because I think he wanted we, we wanted to respect the songs more. You know, I, you know I don't know if that makes sense to you, but instead of just blasting through them and and being a rock show and leaving, now is the time in in that you want to play the songs and really get people to enjoy them for what they are you know. Right. It's not slam-bam rock. I mean, every band does it. Look at Def Leppard. All the bands we play with, Journey, they're all playing the songs, slower tempos, in the way they used to do it, because that's what they want people to hear. They want people to respect the music, and that, I think that um uh, Dax took that approach, too, and it worked out great.
1: Well, there's the being the architect of something. You know, once you've designed something, you can play with that a bit more. Him mm-hmm. coming in into the secondary position, if you will, mm-hmm. he's going to be under a more critical eye. You no know God. what I'm saying? In the same way that John Brandt uh, had to live with Tom Peterson's bass parts and so on and yeah. so forth. So it's it just makes common sense that you would try to give the audience what they want, no matter what.
0: You mentioned John Brandt, and we never talked about John Brandt when I was playing with him, but John Brandt, what you, what you just said, he did the exact same thing. He respected the music. You know, he didn't try to change, he, he played the parts. Now I'm sure, I'm, I'm assuming probably Rick said, you know, listen, play, you know, play it like this. You know, this is the way it goes, play it, whatever. But but uh, uh, everybody, I think in the band, I wasn't around for the peak community days, but the John Brantz and, and, and the Dash and all that, it's all about respecting the music that you're playing. And, and, you know, you know, I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to respect the music that we are playing. That's why I tried to learn the parts the best I could. I shaped the sounds, the sound just like the record. And, uh, you know, sometimes that was a good thing, Uh,
1: you know, sometimes
0: not so good, but that's another story.
1: Well, that's, that's really one of the, the, uh, challenges of a band that has a legacy Mm -hmm. as long as cheap trick, like on one hand. You want to sound as close to the record as you can, on the other hand, if you sound so much like the recorded version, why didn't you just stay home right so there's that there's that kind of uh balance that a person has to get or a band has to get just right so that you're not like there there's been times like for example, we've talked kiss earlier. There were times in the 80s they would speed things up to try to compete with at the time the Hair Metal crowd or whatever right. that it would lose any swagger that it had because they had to be faster and you know right. catch up with the the newer sound you know they right. they they basically playing with Anthrax and trying to make songs that were written in the Chuck Berry kind <laughs> of thing to to match up to an Anthrax kind of speed so it would almost lose any swagger that it had Right. So that's a challenge that any working band that has survived as long as Cheap Trick has and it's it's amazing that anyone can but look at look at the bands that we're all talking about and loving to this day.
0: Yeah.
1: I agree. It's bands that have stood the test of time and uh one thing I can say for sure about this show is it's it's not about digging up dirt. It's about the music and that's yeah. we are so glad that you've been part of this. And we're so glad that you agreed to come on this show. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's neat now knowing that we've talked to the guy that we see on the videos and stuff like that when we watch, you know, YouTube or what have you, or in our personal collections. Yeah. So what's next for you? What's what's going on with you now? Well, I'm still I still have my company
0: here in South Florida, ZMC Entertainment. Uh, I believe that's how you got my email because that's
3: yeah yeah that's how i tracked you down at first yeah
0: yeah we do um it's a production company and um i have a studio in my home and we do shows for the city like holiday shows and and you know stuff like that i mean it's no it's not rock and roll that's for sure yeah and and, you know we have a company we provide entertainment and we do uh, any kind of production uh setups and things like that that anybody would need and uh, that's what we do and we're still doing that they did come to town and we I came and sat in with them on a couple of times they were here at the Cruising Amphitheater in West Palm, and I just sang, just sang with them and stuff like that. Other than that, I haven't seen them, and uh, they've got Robin now, which is again the natural order of things. They got Robin Jr. Uh, playing guitar, and and you know I think, you know going back to I I don't know if you guys want to wrap it up yet, but the the going with the the keyboard thing I think, you know it, I think it came to a head. I, this is just my opinion, I don't know, but it came to a head. At, uh, when we did a gig in New Orleans, we did the Voodoo Festival. And um, some writer, I don't know, somebody out there, you know, I, I know the stories out there, so I'm not telling anything that nobody doesn't really know. But some writer put out there that uh, Cheap tricks sounded so good they had to be lip syncing. That Robin was singing parts that uh, there was other vocals. And I'm like, dude, did you even look at the stage? I was actually on stage with him there. You can, you know, you can actually see me singing with him anyway it was it was I think to me in my opinion I can't speak for the band I wouldn't I'm only speaking for me I think that was a turning point right there where that they might have thought you know hey listen I you know it's been, maybe it's time to get back to the roots and uh, you know start rocking again because you know after the latest I mean that would uh, the next album wasn't really as produced not you know I didn't think there was that many keyboards and that kind of stuff I mean there were keyboard parts on there um, I think they wanted me to because they wanted to reproduce the latest live as close as we possibly could. And I, and I, you know, hopefully I did my best to do that with them. But I think the time came where they said, hey, you know, let, let's go back to our roots. So, uh, uh-huh. you know, I mean, when you hear him now, I mean, you know, Robin's a junior. I mean, he's, you know, he's playing under Rick when Rick does the solos. You hear the guitar underneath going on. There's no, it's structured, but I mean, it's not like if there was keyboards there and you have to play the, the organ part in Dream Police and all that kind of stuff like that. Do I miss it? Obviously, I, I you know I miss those parts, and there's a lot of people that miss them when they don't hear them. But you know, you love cheap trick for cheap trick, and if that's who's on stage at the time, you love that band that's there on the time, you know, at the time. So that's oh, that's where it's at right now.
3: One other thing I wanna wanna ask you about is yeah. um, our friend Clive Palmer shared with me uh, something he had found online at some point where you put out a version of Invaders of the Heart from Next Position Please, like a lounge kind of version that uh yeah
0: i did uh <laughs> i did i did we, we had always joked about about stuff like that and yeah i did i did a, i did a lounge and my wife came in with me and, and uh, sang backgrounds and yeah we did and uh, they liked it so much they actually put it on their website and, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and it was and what actually what i what i from that i had actually i do have a treatment of dream police i have a jazz treatment. but i've never put it together but and it's it's slamming but i've just never done it and they, there was actually talk at one time of man magic you should do a, a jazz version of our songs you know as a as a joke you know but yes yeah. yeah i did i did do that i don't know if you guys have heard it or not
3: yeah i've heard it oh, all yeah. right so you no, just yeah. kind of did it for fun and, oh, and yeah. as a joke yeah
0: yeah no, no it was for fun just for fun yeah. and for a joke and because i um i think one of their friends was getting married. Um, oh, God, why can't I remember his name? The British guy that does all their history. He does a blog, a Cheap Trick UK blog, but now he lives in the States. Kim Gisborne. Yeah, it was Kim Gisborne. Yeah, It was it was Gizzy's wedding with his lovely wife, who I forgot her name to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he was getting married, and he wanted to have Invaders of the Heart played at his at his wedding. And so, you know, I, I started playing it, and everybody was cracking up. I said, well, if you're going to do it at a wedding, it's going to have to sound like this. And I just started doing it. And, 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 you know, Tom, you know, Tom and I got along really well and he was busting up laughing. So on the next break we had, yeah, I went in and did a treatment of it real fast and sent it to him for a joke.
3: (laughs) That's cool.
2: Invaders of the heart are messing with my mind. Invaders.
0: I'll do the Dream Police slam that I have and, and uh, send it to them and see if they get a kick out of it. I don't know. But you know, right now, I don't have the time to do that.
1: Yeah, right. Well, if you ever want a place to play that Dream Police thing,
0: <laughs> uh you'll be the first. You'll, if they allow me to release it, I'll send it to you. It's all yours.
3: Cheap talk exclusive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't hold your breath. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, and I just, you know, I want to say one thing, and I know you didn't bring this up, and I probably shouldn't bring it up, but. You know, um, other than the fact that they treat, you know, we did the dream police, you know, orchestra stuff and all that stuff we did. And and they treated me great. And one of the turning points for me was and I know you didn't bring it up and I'll make it fast because I know we've been going on for a while. But um, the Ottawa thing, that was a big turning point because, I mean, we could have been killed when the stage fell on top of us. Oh, You were there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was there. Not only was I there, if you go look at some of the videos on YouTube, I was on a riser. So wow. I would have been, crap. I would, yeah, I would have been the first one to go. I mean, that's a whole other story of all that stuff that happened there. But
3: yeah, definitely. We we would like to hear that story if you want to
1: tell it. Yeah, go for it.
0: Well, I'm just saying, you know what, I mean, if you know the story, you know what happened and we, it was terrible weather that day. Yeah. And, and the wind, you know, wind was really blowing. And when we were backstage, they, some of the organizers of the concert had their satellites up and they were looking at cells and all that kind of stuff. And, You know, well, we'll have to keep an eye on it. It doesn't look like it's coming this way, but, you know, you never know. We'll keep an eye on it. So anyway, so a couple of the Dixie Chicks girls went on before us, and they had perfect weather. I mean, everything was great. Uh, We got up there. uh, We were there. I was up on a riser. Dax is up on his riser. And uh, we got through, I think, like four songs. Uh, We got to, um, we got all the way we did, I Want You to Want Me, and then the next song we were doing was um, uh, Tonight It's You and we got halfway through the song and and all of a sudden man i mean i mean in a flash the 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 sky went like black and it really started to pick up and robin you know kind of looked around as he's playing he looked back at us he wanted to make sure he had our attention and we were all looking at him and you know rick was doing his thing running around doing his thing but we were all kind of paying attention to to, to Robin to see what he was looking at. He kept looking at us like he'd look at me and then he'd turn around looking at Rick, trying to get our attention to see, you know, to make sure that we can see him. And this thing started to pick up and pick up and pick up. And eventually it's got to the point where he put his hand in the air and did a circle with his finger, meaning get out, end the song. So everybody luckily caught the signal and and we ended the song. And, and just as we got off, it hit. And we were trying to get the hell off the stage. And Everybody got all, you know, everybody went their way, and Dave Fry and I were the last ones on stage. And in my infinite wisdom, I, I'm like one of these guys that if I have something that's been on tour with me for a number of years, I want to make sure I still have it. I had a pair of sunglasses that had been all over the world with me with Cheap Trick. I wanted those sunglasses. I wasn't going to be denied. So I right. ran, I ran back onto stage because I had put them on top of the bass rig. And went out and grabbed and and they all started to come down and Dave Fry grabbed me and pushed me and just threw me across to the side and he ran to the stairs. I got stuck on the side of the stage and the whole thing came down. And I'm sure you've seen the video, so you already know. Right. And as I'm standing there, this the thing is starting to come down. The stage is buckling, the front of the stage is buckling up. So all the anvil cases, empty and full, were all coming at me. Now I'm not trying to make this about me my i'm getting to a point i jumped off the stage i mean as soon as it was done i jumped off the stage it fell back landed on the truck and hit uh sandy the truck driver the uh, poor guy he got hurt i think robin uh i don't know what, what happened to robin I, I think he said something happened in his back i'm not sure but he you know we went out and filmed uh the aftermath, and we got off of there and, and we were lucky we got off uh just in time i mean you saw the video it's pretty nasty and when i went back to look at the pictures i went back and looked my riser, and all my keyboards were gone. Wow. I mean, right. just totally smashed into a million pieces. Right. And I think the only thing that was still, I think the drums, the so I might have to go back and look at the pictures to see. But the point of the story, though, that I noticed, there seemed to be a real connection between all of us at that time. Because when you go through something like that, you know, you I hate to use that, that term that's always used, the, the band of brother thing. But it kind of was a band and brother thing. We made it through. You know, everybody was pretty upset, but we called our wives and everything. We let them know what was going on before they saw it on the news. And we had like a day off, and then we had to be in in New York. So they had to scramble to get you know backline to 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 go do the new to New York gig. And I was looking around, and I went and I purchased another M3, which is a sampling keyboard that I had. I wanted to get i, I found one in town i went and bought it on my own i loaded my samples and my sounds into it and we went and uh in two days later we did this gig and, and you know we walked out on the stage like like it was nothing i mean you know like you have to walk out your cheap trick you're doing a show people pay money to come and see you the attendance boosted it up like maybe five grand five thousand people because you know cheap tricks almost got killed you know we got we want to see them that kind of thing and we walked out there and we did the show like nothing happened at the end Robin looked at me, and when they were taking their bow, and he waved at me, and he said, "Come out here." He would never done that before. I had never been on stage with him for a bow, and I went out there, and we all put our arms around each other and bowed to the stage, and then and left the stage. And I went, you know, I, you know, I was floored, and you know me, you know, I'm an emotional guy, and I, I, was emotional. But I said, "Man, that's that's a band of brothers moment that you know." A lot of bands don't have, you know, for that kind of a situation. And from that point on until my last tour, my last show with them, they brought me out on stage to bow with them at the end of the show. So, you know, I I felt like, you know, I felt pretty good about that. And I was proud of that. And I was proud to be with them. And I still am to this day. And I love the
3: guys, you know. Do you do you almost feel like is it a situation like Robin Zander saved your life by making that call when he did? (laughs) Well, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Because well, I mean, because you know we're you know you kind of I mean Rick Rick I mean we kind of knew what was going on. We could see that the weather was turning. We could see that. But who knows? You know we didn't know if it was just going to go over. You know, and this was you know after Ottawa, all kinds of stages were coming down. It was the weirdest thing. Now all of a sudden the country western show Sugar Land or something whatever band that was their stuff came down, killed people because that fell forward. This fell backwards, and the whole stage was made out of moving lights which are you know motorized led moving lights they're not like your regular park hands so they're heavy they all got more the whole lighting truss was moving led lights they're heavy that whole thing came down i mean if it would have came straight down i think dax probably dax and i would have had the worst of it and if you there's one video out there i think i've seen that rick rick actually ran up front so rick actually ran downstage to the front of the stage as it came down because he Uh saw it going back. I mean, it was just, it was just an odd situation, but yeah, Robin, you know, when he, when he kept looking at us, we knew something was going on. And when he gave us the finger sign, you know, and we said, okay, we got to go. And we did, we stopped the song and and we got off and then bam. But I, it did change the, it changed the timbre of the band. I mean, the way everybody, you know, the treated each other, talked to each other and, and uh, you know, it, it it was, one of those, I, for me, anyway, as a as a Yoko guy, it was a defining moment for me. So that's, right. my, that's my story.
1: That's a fantastic oh, yeah. way to end this. Just, yeah, just wonderful.
0: Great. Hey, listen, I appreciate you guys having me. I, you know, this is the first interview I've ever done. So I'm, the oh, fact wow. that you guys guys even, uh, you know, sought after me, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if any of the Cheap tri- cheap trip guys are listening, I love you guys. And I wish you nothing but the best. And, uh, you know, maybe down the line we'll see you again.
1: Well, we want to thank you for being part of the Cheap Trick story. And thank you for coming on Cheap Talk today. And uh, we just we just appreciate you. Thank you for being part of this story.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Ken and Brian. And uh, I'll wait to see how much chopping and editing you do on
1: this thing. Oh, it'll <laughs> be fun.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, Phil. It was All great. Right,
0: thanks for reaching out to me. I appreciate it. If you ever talk to Todd, now, you know, I don't know if Todd told you the story of how he replaced me. Not that it has to be in your show, but I'm just saying, you know, they brought they brought me back out to find a keyboard player to repl- They've already got rid of me, well, not got rid of me, but I left for for certain reasons, you know, my own thing. They weren't happy about it, so they brought me back out and and I guess they pulled Todd out. and I guess Todd's I've heard him talk about. It. He said that he was at the soundboard listening to what I was doing because you know Todd's a guitar player, right? And he's a yeah. guitar player that that happens to play keyboards, and that's how I met him back in the club days. Uh, you know, when I told you Mickey, for, anyway, long story short, yeah, he came out and he listened to what I was doing. And they, and it, according to him, they said, can you do this? And he said, yeah, I can do this. And then the next day I was on a plane home. So, which I don't hold anything against Todd. Todd's, Todd's a great guy and he's very talented. And he's always said nice things about me and I, and I, I got nothing bad to say about him. So.
3: And it's funny that you replaced him in one band, and then he replaced you. Well, that band. was
0: that. That was that thing I was trying to tell you about that Kevin Bacon thing. I mean, it's like yeah, yeah. I replaced him. He turned around replacing me. And yeah, it was. It, it was. It was odd. It was odd. But anyway, I hope it's not too boring for you guys. Edit again, no, it's not.
3: It's not. You. No, it was great.
1: Great. <laughs> All right. All right, you guys have a great day, man. All thanks right. for Thanks right, for here. thinking of me. I appreciate thanks, it. Phil. Thank you for coming All right. on. All right, buddy. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Phil Christian. He's a magic man. The magic Christian. Yeah, the magic <laughs> Christian. Very good. All right, well, we will see you all on the next episode of your officially unofficial Cheap Trick podcast, Cheap Talk. Say, see ya, BJ. See ya, BJ. Or do you want to do the uh, good night now, ladies and gentlemen <laughs> thing?
3: <laughs> sure. Good night now, ladies and gentlemen. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep Cheap Trickin'.